Welcome to Lead Today with me, Kalina. Let's talk leadership. All right. Welcome to another episode of the show. It's good to see you or get feedback from you and have you listening. So thank you for being here. Today, I'd love to look at EFT, which is emotionally focused therapy, different from emotional freedom technique, which is tapping. So this is actually a form of psychotherapy. It was founded and formatted or created by Dr. Jasue Johnson. Um, She's got a book on it as well, which I will definitely be drawing upon is an amazing read if you are struggling with your relationships, any of them. Um, It is focused on couples, but I'd say that this, this has been transformational in me even understanding myself better and understanding how other people's actions rub me the wrong way and how I respond to those things rubbing me the wrong way allowing me to let go of things that rub me the wrong way, which is definitely an invaluable tool when it comes to dealing with other people, because who doesn't have challenges with other people? I mean, no matter what you do for work, whether it's family relationships, work relationships, personal, like no matter what it is that you do, it's challenging to deal with others. So I hope that this episode will bring us closer to understanding what EFT is, help us to understand how to feel closer to our partners, more confident about our relationships, clear on how to turn really conflict into connection. So that's, that's my broad goal, which how do we turn conflict into connection? It can feel really heated. And certainly in one podcast episode, we can only get so far. It's going to take a lot of reflection on your part if you want to actually evaluate your marriage or your relationships. So I'm here to serve as a guide, share a bit about my experience with working with an EFT therapist and how you can either work with on yourself or maybe go down this road on your own and do some investigation. If you want to go on the road of just checking this out for yourself, I highly recommend Dr. Johnson's book, Hold Me Tight. There are seven conversations that are, you are meant to go through. Ideally, you do this with your partner in order to understand how to argue better, essentially. Um, and then to, at the end of it, not have the circular arguments that you have. So a lot of conventional therapy or counseling, in my experience, looks at, let's say, your past, your childhood, what, how to communicate effectively, tools. And while those things might be good, I think a lot of the time in the heat of an argument, tools and processes or fair fighting rules or any of that kind of thing sort of gets thrown out the window because we're so emotionally heated and that can happen in you know an instant truly an instant and in reading the book and working with a therapist it is true if you look at the last conflict that you had with anyone but specifically I think with your partner how quickly did it escalate it can be just someone looking at you the wrong way, saying this, the wrong thing in the wrong way. So maybe their tone of voice, turning away their body language. So it's really fascinating to me because it can be in an instant that we go from everything's fine to stress on high alert, feeling at the core of it really unsafe or some level of fear that something is not okay 
with us. And so in the book, there are seven transforming conversations that Dr. Johnson goes through. Um, and I'll just sort of list those out and explain them for anyone that hasn't read it or is interested. So um, you start by recognizing your demon dialogues is what she calls it. And essentially the idea is that they're destructive and negative remarks that happen in a conversation and you need to get to the root of the problem. So often when we argue, we argue on a content level. So you didn't pick up the dog, you didn't pick up the kids, you're late. What that person actually or factually did or said and we argue on that content level, thinking that that's the problem, that, oh, if you just weren't late, if you just didn't say that anymore, if you just didn't do that anymore, we'd be okay. And oftentimes, well, one, your partner doesn't really hear you <laughs> because they're just, they, they are shut down or they're in a defensive mode. So the way that you go about this is so important, which is why I was saying, right, all of this sort of can spiral out of control almost in an instant and it moves so quickly. So one of the things that um, we did an EFT was really look at some situations and they can be, they, they are daily situations. They can be, and, and even in my work with couples, I've had things like um, using, using the partner's ruler or something to do with a coffee mug. These things can be very slight and they can seem insignificant. Why do you care if I use your ruler? What's the problem? Why do you care if I'm in the backyard gardening? What's the issue or, okay, I said, I didn't want to go to your friend's party. So what? And really it's not about the party. It's not about the ruler. It's not about the content. So I think that's one of the biggest realizations I had in the first conversations. And I think these seven transforming conversations, while they are in the book and you can do them with your partner, I think that from what I've seen in EFT and in my coaching practice, that these seven conversations are really what happen with couples throughout a coaching engagement. So you have to start with being aware of your cycle of the dance that you're doing in your relationship. So what is that, what is that pattern that you're in? And oftentimes it repeats just in different contexts or different subject matter. So a lot of times, and there are three that Dr. Johnson talks about, um, there can be, you know, finding the bad guy. So that's like, if you, the blame game essentially. So either both partners or one partner starts to criticize and blame, and then the other one just lays it on top. So you never take out the garbage while you're always messing up the kitchen. Like, and you just layer it on and it becomes who's worse and who's the bad guy instead of finding any kind of solution or getting back to a loving place. Instead, you're both enemies. Um, so there's that. Uh, there's also another one that's called, she calls it a, a polka, but essentially the idea is that it's a dance and oftentimes it's triggered by a raw spot and we all have them, right? There are things that, and this is where, yes, maybe it is from childhood. Maybe it is something that your mom or dad or parental figure used to do. Um, so that could be a raw spot for you because, hey, your, your dad was always late picking up from school and you thought that he didn't care about you. So when someone else is late, now that's a sore spot. Um, a rough spot, a, a tough spot. So I think that with that, we really need to start to consider, okay, what are those spots for us? And what does that, what dance does that pull us into? And it can pull us into a dance of, okay, so when I, when such and such happens, so when you're late picking up the kids or when you're late for a date, then 
immediately I feel scared and this is a base emotion, right? So angry, scared, shame, sad, those sorts of feelings. Um, and then I tell myself, so what are you telling yourself? It means because right away we make things mean something. We give things meaning and the event in and of itself could bother one person and not another. And the reason that something bothers one person and not another is because of the meaning that we ascribe to it, the meaning that we attach to the event. So, okay, well, you know, you were late. That makes me angry, scared, frustrated, sad. And I make it mean that you don't care about me or I'm not important to you or you don't respect me. So what are those kinds of things that right away when, when your partner is telling you or doing something that you don't like, where do you go pretty much right away with that? So it's not just, oh, you were late and that's frustrating. What can we do as a couple against the lateness, which is the event? It's more like, oh, okay, now I'm not important or you don't care about me. And we go kind of to this really extreme place. So that's a demon dialogue for sure. You kind of get into this pattern or this cycle, this polka that she calls it. Um, you can call it whatever you want, vortex, spiral, but you spiral into this pattern. So oftentimes one person can be maybe the criticizing person and the other person gets quiet or you both get louder and then it goes higher volume. The idea of high volume, low volume discussions or communication styles. So if somebody's yelling at me, oftentimes I might, I might escalate, but at some point I shut down and then I want to be alone. And that's something that I do that other people, for example, might get just louder and louder and louder, feeling like they have to be aggressive and assert themselves. So there are different styles. The third um, demon dialogue, if you will, is that sort of withdrawal and shutout. And it can be one person or both. And if both people have sort of frozen and withdrawn from the relationship, that's probably the scariest time because the question is, do we even have a relationship anymore? If we're both frozen and withdrawn from the relationship, then what kind of relationship is it? And are we willing to come back to the table about it? Or are we just living as roommates in our marriage and living two separate lives and apart? Because this spiral, usually after that spiral or that dance has been repeated so many times that it's so entrenched that you just assume, okay, they're just going to criticize me or, okay, they're just going to abandon me. I just feel so alone that no matter what I say, and, and that's normally the pattern. And in her books, she talks about how, and I, and I think this is potentially flawed because I think we can be both. And she does say that, but she says most of the time women feel alone and then they get, they'll sort of nag or complain, right? They get upset. And then the man will retreat or withdraw, not knowing what to say, often with the not good enough kind of dialogue of, okay, I can't, and nothing I do works. I can't do anything right. You're just going to criticize me. So I'm just going to be quiet. <laughs> um, so again, it depends on the person's experiences and if they go and they kind of fight for it and get more aggressive or if their style is to withdraw. So you'll know which person you are. And you can be a, that person in different scenarios, right? So, I mean, you can be the withdrawing person in one relationship and you can be more of the aggressive person or the the criticizing person in another relationship. So interesting to note, okay, am I like this with everyone or do I have different styles? So this whole theory is also based off of Boldy's work, who's another um, psychotherapist who worked on attachment theory. So pretty much Dr. Johnson built off of Boldy's work on this. And so there's secure, there's avoidant, there's disorganized, 
there's a ambivalent or there's anxious avoidant um, attachment. So, and it was first started with looking at just children with babies and how they focus in and attach to their caregivers. Johnson essentially takes attachment theory a step further and brings it into the relationships with adults. And her theory is that we don't stop needing secure attachments and secure relationships when we move into adulthood. We still need, we still need those secure attachments. And we look for that security from our closest romantic partner, from our spouse. So the idea that as adults, there used to be the idea that as adults, we need to be independent, that if we depend on someone that we have some sort of issue, that we're codependent, that we're too attached. And this is sort of being, I think, looked at again or considered again, because, because we do need other people. And as humans, we are definitely interconnected and depend on each other in business and personal relationships and our marriage for sure. And so acting like we don't need other people, I think, and these theories state that essentially is just it's just a means of keeping people at an arm's length and it's not actually forming intimate secure relationships and attachments so because if you have a secure attachment then you can with let's say your parent when you're a child they can leave the room they can come back and you can regulate and you can say okay I know you'll come back I'm okay with this same thing as an adult if you are very attached to your partner if they leave and they come back and you're upset or you don't really know how to handle it. You get frustrated. If they're away, you don't, you get jealous, you feel detached. This is all just an sort of continuation from childhood that again, not that EFT asks you to analyze your childhood, but it's just to say the theory was born off the idea that this doesn't end in childhood, that attachment theory continues throughout adulthood and that the primary relationship that we're looking for attachment in as adults is with a significant other, which is why we so, as a society, not everybody, but every, I think everybody wants love. So I do think every single person wants love and whether that is in the conventional romantic relationship or if there are other ways. And of course, I don't think one relationship is the end all be all. So you can have your spouse, you can have your husband or your wife, but you also have these other relationships that also need to be securely attached that you feel connected in the community friendships, colleagues, your other family members, extended family members, your community, maybe your religious community, whatever it is that you're involved in, those those people in the community, that's a huge thing for making you feel like you belong and that you're securely attached, I think, to your, your environment. So I think this goes even beyond that relationship, although that core relationship is the one that you're really looking to have the attachment, the secure attachment with on a day-to-day basis. So we move out of childhood with Bowlby's work and the four stages that he has. And then we talk about it. Essentially, I would say EFT, emotionally focused therapy, is looking at how to securely attach to your partner. That's my understanding of it. So we've recognized the demons and the demon dialogue. So what is this dance that we're doing? What's the spiral that we're in? Then we go to finding the raw spots, as I mentioned earlier. So we're looking at, okay, what are those immediate impulsive reactions When are they being hit? What are those things that happen? And you just, you have this 10 of 10 reaction that probably isn't warranted, right? Where your partner kind of looks at you and goes, what just happened? Like, what is up with you? What just happened here? And you feel like it's dramatic. You feel like you kind of, you went from zero to 10 really quickly. Um, So you really visit and figure out 
the raw spots, both for yourself and your partner. And then hopefully the idea is that and in this therapy, this is sort of an interesting approach that I'm not sure how I feel about saying it this way, but you find a common em- enemy in the cycle that you have so that you two are working against your cycle rather than being victims of it. And the idea I think is to really bring people together toward a common enemy. So you're working toward a common enemy to, to beat it essentially. But the idea is that you become a team on the issue. And again, it's not the context and it's not the issue that's the problem. It's the type of conversation and that's outside of your dynamic. So you as a couple can choose and say, okay, this, we keep doing this spiral. We don't want to do this anymore. So we're going to decide when this starts happening again, that we're going to pause. We're going to slow down. We might take a break. When we see that this is escalating, we know where it's headed. We've played out this dance 30 times, 50, 100 times, 1,000 times before. We're not going to go there. Let's de-escalate. Let's take a break. Let's take a breath. And then we can come back to the challenge and hopefully talk about it in a calm manner. And I'll share those four steps with you shortly. So let's just get through the seven transforming conversations and I'll share the four steps of the EFT process, loosely broad steps <laughs> that you can work through when you're ready to revisit. So and that's the third conversation is revisiting a rocky moment. So this is what you'll do if you work with an emotionally focused therapist. Um, it's essentially a conversation that provides a platform for de-escalating the conflict and repairing the rifts in a relationship or the ruptures, some therapists will call them, um, and build emotional safety. So rather than you're sort of looking as a as two spectators trying to sort of piece together the situation, a rocky moment, one of these challenges about a ruler or a coffee cup, or a guy looked at a girl the wrong way, or he was late, or she started complaining, or whatever your whatever triggered it. You, there, I'm sure there are lots of rocky moments you can name out from your relationship. You take one of them, and you have a conversation where you revisit that moment in a way to de-escalate the conflict and really repair the rupture that was caused in the relationship because of the conflict, and then you build emotional safety by seeing each other. In that conversation, you're really acknowledging what the other person is saying. So oftentimes, if you're feeling alone, unseen, or criticized, not good enough, you want the other person to say, hey, I see you. I see that you're trying. I see that you feel alone. I'm here, right? So rather than trying to prove yourself or prove that you're not wrong or prove that you didn't do something wrong, right? Like it's a, it's sort of a perfect storm if one person feels alone and frustrated Um, and isolated and sad and the other person feels not good enough then every time the person feels alone and is trying to reach out for connection and they're doing it in in a complaining or aggressive or angry way and if the other person feels like oh I can't do anything about this I'm not good enough I can't handle this and they just shut down the other person feels more alone so the more I do this the more you do that and around and around we go so in this next conversation we're revisiting a situation where that happened and we're sort of taking it apart and repairing that feeling so that we understand that it's not about us. It's really two individuals having their own dialogue in their head about what's happening. And instead you're connecting with the other person's core emotion of fear, of worry or shame or anger or sadness or whatever the core fear is. You're connecting with that to say, hey, okay, I see that you feel alone. I totally can see how that could be the case when we just moved to a new city you don't know anybody and you feel scared. And I can totally see how that could come out. 
And so, and then you repair. And sometimes if you are in a couples therapy session together in person with each other, there is a component of physical touch, whether it's a hug or you're kind of holding each other from a physical perspective, really regulating, co-regulating the nervous system, breathing together and being held. So there's an emotional safety being made there also by physical touch. Um, which does come up later as well. Um, so then the next one is hold me tight. That is the fourth conversation. It's the heart of the program, if you will. And it's about moving partners into being more accessible, emotionally responsive, and deeply engaged. And there's a questionnaire that she has in the book, A-R-E. So accessible, responsive, and engaged. And you look at that because essentially anytime a partner is complaining, Anytime a partner is frustrated, angry, any kind of reaction or isolating themselves, so withdrawing, anytime there's this big emotional reaction that seems out of proportion with the situation, it's oftentimes that the partner needs you to be accessible, responsive, and engaged with them. They want engagement. They want attention, right? And so they're throwing a tantrum or they're criticizing you because they want attention. They want love. They want that engagement, responsiveness essentially asking the question in their own way are you here with me are you on my team are you on my side do you still love me like they're they're putting out a bid for connection and if it's repeatedly shut down that's one of the biggest indicators for the potential for divorce and that's um there's a lot of research done on that by the john gottman institute they do a ton of research on bids for connection and marriage in general so another very interesting resource that's done amazing work with couples so then you move into being more accessible, responsive, and emotionally engaged. And then you go to the next conversation, forgiving injuries. So while they may be forgiven, they might never disappear. But the idea is that it's integrated into the conversation so that you can forgive to whatever degree and then move past it. So this idea of renewal um, and that the if you can forgive, it will strengthen your bond. So of course, right, if you hold on to something for 20 years, and then you hold over 20 years of marriage or 30 years, there are a lot of things that you can hold on to. And if you never forgive them, that's pretty hard to continue to be open to seeing your partner as a partner and continue to be loving and curious and excited and that kind of, and that's what we do in the beginning of relationships, right? We don't have all of these situations that we've had to forgive, that we've had to look past, that we've had to talk about. And that's why it's so exciting because we're just learning this person. If we can keep I think this is my opinion, but if we can keep the curiosity, if we can keep this feeling that we're always getting to know our partner, then I think we don't, we can hopefully keep that excitement alive in a marriage for many years. Again, just my take, like we have to, that's a check-in with me in 20 years, <laughs> but that's what I see in, in partnerships or I see a sense of duty, but then there's not always this like magical kind of loving connection. I see, of course, couples that are married for 20, 30, 40 years. And it's just because, well, I can't leave or I don't feel like I can leave or it doesn't feel safe to leave. And that's not the same as I'm in this really emotionally connected relationship where um, we, we learn together and we grow and it's really loving and amazing. Next one is bonding through sex and touch. So we're doing this in all the sessions. If you're in emotionally focused therapy, you're doing this in all sessions around, like I said, the the building emotional safety can be with physical touch. If the relationship can handle that, it depends what the relationships, the challenges are and what the history is. But um, this particular conversation focuses specifically on sex and touch and how, um, well, how emotional connection really does create great sex and good sex 
creates deeper emotional connection. And it is sort of this spiral again, right? Where if you don't have a fulfilling sex life, the emotional side feels like it's going away and vice versa. If you're not emotionally connected, especially for women, I think they, they don't want to have sex if there's not verbal emotional connection. And yet men sometimes can also, and, and women, but mostly men can feel like the way they emotionally connect is physically via sex. So it's an interesting, it's an interesting conversation to be had for sure. And if there is strong emotional connection and that emotional safety we talk about in previous conversations, much easier to be physically intimate when you feel safe, for sure. Emotionally safe that you're cared for, that you're loved. So the next and last one is keeping your love alive. So building on the understanding that love is a continual process of losing and finding emotional connection. So it's this kind of uh, being on the emotional plane versus let's say the task-based plane. Like I know that for sure, where, you know, as a couple, there are a lot of things you have to do. You need to do your taxes and renew your car insurance and make sure the kids are okay or cut the grass or all these kind of tactical things, which is the tactical plane. Then there's this emotional plane, right? There's this emotional connection that we sort of ebb and flow in and out of right now. I'm connected with you. I'm doing this episode. There's not an emotional connection necessarily with my husband, but when I get off of recording this, I can text him and say, Hey, you know, I just recorded the episode. It went really well. Um, I really enjoyed it. Here's what I talked about. And we can come back into connection. So the idea that keeping your love alive is keeping that connection alive as the pulse or the heartbeat of your relationship. Again, we talked about, right. One of those um, demon dialogues can be just complete withdrawal. And so that's where the relationship sort of withers and dies. And we know this about anything, as long as we're putting an effort at both sides and we keep coming back to the table and keep connecting, that's where things continue to blossom. So I think this makes sense. So that book is really interesting. And then I just want to walk you through, let's say the, the four steps. I just want to make sure that I say it right. So the first step is, and this is in the EFT process. So often when you work with a therapist, there are, let's say eight to 12 sessions, maybe up to 20. It's, but it's, there's a, there's a time limit on it, which I really appreciated because sometimes in therapy, it feels like you hear these stories where people go to a therapist for a year or years and years. And the, the reason they went to the therapist isn't really resolved. And for me, that's just, it feels like a waste of time. It might not be, but again, EFT is not focused on rehashing your childhood or figuring out where every single challenge you have came from. Although that's useful when it comes to um, those trigger points, right? Or those sort of sore spots for you. That's really important there to say, okay, maybe it's not coming from my partner. Maybe it is coming from a past relationship or a past friendship, or again, your parents or, or caregivers, you know, so it's important to understand that, okay, this is a sore spot for me and it comes from X point just so that you know that it's a sore spot, but it's not about analysis of all of these things that have happened. It's more about being able to restructure the bond that you have with your partner so that it's healthy, so that there's emotional connection, so you don't feel victims of this cycle, if you will, this dance that you continuously do and you can emotionally connect stages and steps. First step is stabilization. So you do an assessment and de-escalate, de-escalation. So you're really assessing, okay, where are we at? Let's stabilize. Let's identify the negative cycle and the attachment issues. So we, as we talked about, it's based in attachment theory. So you access the underlying attachment emotions. So um, fear, sadness, anger, 
grief, shame. So these core emotions, you access those to understand what the basis of it is. So do you feel alone or do you feel not good enough? Do you feel criticized? Well, what is that? That's fear. Is it anger? Is it sadness? What's, what's there? What's that core emotion that's there? Then you reframe the problem into the cycle, the attachment need and the fears so that you're not, you are not your cycle. You're just a victim, quote unquote, of the cycle is how they, they say it. But I would just say you're part of the cycle, but you are not the cycle and you can choose to change it. So now you become allies, you and your husband or wife or partner, you become allies in moving away from the cycle that you easily get into. So the therapist would create a comfortable and stable environment. You talk about the hesitations that you have about therapy. Um, You make sure you trust your therapist, of course, if you're working with someone. And then you're really getting into understanding the negative and positive interactions in the relationship to go through that process. Then you restructure the bond. So phase two, so the change steps. So you're assessing your needs and fears and models of yourself and you're promoting acceptance by the other. So you expand this dance that you're doing so that you have within the therapy session itself, you're having experiences of your partner seeing you, acknowledging you. So for so long, you felt alone in your marriage, you felt misunderstood. And in the therapy session, because you're talking through one of these challenging scenarios and you're having your partner in the moment respond differently, you're building a new dance in the therapy session itself because then it's like oh and you probably won't trust it the first time or the third time to be honest with you so the first time that hey you know I feel really alone I feel like I can't tell you about my feelings I feel like you don't want to listen to me I feel scared that you just don't care and for the first time or one of the first times you're hearing your partner say wow I never thought of it like that before I'm so sorry I can totally see how being alone would be so hard can I give you a hug can I hold your hand And you really break down in that moment and cry and just think, oh my God, like you see me for the first time, maybe ever. Uh, And, you you know, it's, it's definitely strange and hard to accept the first time. And that's why there are multiple sessions in the change phase, because you need this to be proven to you again and again, because especially if you've been in a relationship for 10 years, 20 years, you're so used to that person not seeing you. You're so used to assuming that they don't care, that they don't see you, that they don't find you important. You're so used to that pattern running in your own head those assumptions that you make when I ask you for attention you ignore me that means you don't like me you're so used to that thought pattern that when they're doing something different when they're changing the way that they connect with you for sure in the beginning you don't trust it and that's the whole point of doing it in this structured manner with a third party where you can then get used to it happening and then you can try it out together and then you reinforce it for years and years and then it's your new pattern. And then you do become more aware and in control of your interactions so that you can stop the old pattern from, from re-emerging. So in the beginning, a lot of couples, and I noticed this in my practice, they just don't even realize they're doing it. I have so many couples where they just start, they start layering it on. Well, you don't ask me to do anything with you. Well, I'm busy and you, I don't even know what you want from me. Okay. But you know, I'm just saying, I want to have time together. Okay. But then what do you want to do? And right away, it's, it's just the tone of voice, the rate of speech, the words being used, the body language, they move away from each other. I can see it in the screen. Like they're both sitting further apart, like point after point where they just go down that rabbit hole. You can stop that pattern from the first comment of, well, okay, I just want to spend time with you. It's like, well, okay, what's, what's happening here? What, what emotion is emerging here? Oh, okay. You know, I'm getting kind of frustrated. I feel 
like I have to beg for attention. I'm getting worried that I don't deserve it. I feel not good enough. Like, okay, let's. So the therapist really helps in that instance of calling out when this is sort of escalating, going back into your cycle, you're going back up that hill, if you will, into your dance. And then the third phase. Oh, sorry. So in this phase, you're, you're looking at your needs and fears. You're promoting acceptance by the other person. As we said, you expand that dance. And then you structure emotional, you structure emotional engagement and express attachment needs and wants. So that's what I was saying about, you know, um, do you want a hug or you talk about it or you figure out you want reassurance Like you figure out what it is you're needing in that moment and you can share it with them in a safe place. Um, and then you have integration consolidation. So these new positions in the cycle, you enact new stories. So you have different ways of handling when you'll notice, right? So if your partner starts, oh, you never take out the garbage, like what, you know, what's wrong with you? You, you never do it right. You maybe as the other party can say, whoa, okay. It's not about the garbage. What's really going on here? And you can go and say, hey, are you having, what's, what's going on with your day? Or yeah, I'm happy to do that. Can we just sit down and talk for a second? Or I hear the, I hear stress in your voice. Is this our pattern starting again? And if you can do that in a calm and loving way, you can reflect and then redirect that conversation to have a new emotional experience where, you know, your partner might then say, oh, yeah, I'm just so overwhelmed right now. There's so much on my plate. I feel like I can't get everything done. It's like, oh, I hear you. Would it help if I made dinner or would you like to work late or what, what can I do? What can we do to lighten the load? So then you're integrating this new way of dealing with problems within yourself and within the relationship. And you have this secure attachment bond that's formed through the therapy session. And then you, it's, it's really a newfound strength because then you're not victims of the cycle. You're not just always circling in that whirlwind spiral. You are slowing it down and taking, taking control yourself, which is just magical to say the least, because then, you know, it's not about you. You also understand your triggers and soft spots. You also understand your partners. You can maybe catch it. They can catch themselves. You can catch yourself. And over time, those inflections are just way more pronounced, way less pronounced. So it's not this huge fight. It's kind of, okay, I'm getting riled up. Okay. It's not their fault. Um, you know, let's talk about this. I'm feeling alone, I'm feeling frustrated. And you're accessing that core emotion rather than the content. I think that's the biggest distinction, which is so important. So if you found this content interesting, I would definitely encourage you to check out EFT, check out Sue Johnson and the book. I've loved this. We can get into more of this into each phase, I suppose. If this is a valuable episode and people find it useful, I'm happy to look further into each phase of the EFT process or those core conversations. And if you did like the episode, please do like, review, subscribe, comment, any action that you take to engage with me makes a world of difference for me to be able to continue to produce this show. So I want to thank you so much for being here. It means the world to me. I love being able to make this content and I'll see you again next week for some more interesting information on relationships, life, health, and how to be a leader in your own daily life.